0: Welcome everybody to the Healing Place podcast. I'm your host Terry Welbrock and super excited to have with me today, Louise Gottbold. So welcome Louise.
1: Thank you, Terry. I'm excited.
0: Oh, see, I'm just over the top excited to have you here to talk about your executive director of ECHO, a trauma survivor as well. We were just talking for a few minutes beforehand of, um, you know, my trauma history. And (laughs) yeah, so if you want to have an opportunity to talk about yours, certainly do. But yeah, so talk to us about um, ECHO and what it is
1: you're doing there. Well, um, ECHO has been going through some evolutions. Um, We started out as a parenting nonprofit, doing nonviolent parenting. And gradually, as I started to learn more about trauma, starting in 2010, when I read the New Yorker article about uh, Nadine Burke Harris and her work in Oakland and, you know, referencing ACES study, um, I started to realize as a parent of a 15 year old that I had been learning these great new parenting strategies. And it's not just strategies, it's a complete change in mindset, you know, going from certainly my strict Northern European compliance based parenting to more of an attachment style parenting. And I realized that I now felt worse because I knew what to do and I still couldn't do it. And that was my trauma. And when I first learned how ubiquitous trauma is because of the ACEs study, and then I began to dig in a bit deeper about what, what is the impact of trauma on the brain, on our bodies, specifically our nervous system um it all began to make sense i'm sure you had the same yes. <laughs> right revelations like oh, okay it all makes sense now yeah and uh so we started i started introducing the trauma piece and pretty soon people were coming to our parent educator certification course not because they wanted to teach our parenting curriculum but because they wanted to learn about the trauma piece because that was really you know the only show in town and then I I can't say that it points to any great management uh, or business sense so it took me a while to realize oh perhaps we should be doing trainings in trauma and so we started doing professional development work and uh by the way, is this answer too long? Because I could just go on. No, go on and hour. on. It's wonderful. Okay. And I was even going to say
0: when I, when I read and I was on the website and, and looking at everything that you're doing, and the, there's the professional development part of it in trauma, but also with resiliency, which is another big part of it as well.
1: Absolutely. I mean, who wants to be told when they read the ACE study that they have, they're going to die 20 years early if they have right. a score four or more i know i scored a nine out of ten and i
0: was like "Ah,
1: (laughs) exactly (laughs) so and and it's completely um just really looking at the glass half empty because we're here you know we did survive and obviously we have some skills because otherwise we wouldn't be here and it's uh if you get stuck in that victim mentality then It's going to be very hard to look forward to a place where you know there's the three stages of trauma recovery right, safety, remembrance, and mourning, and then reconnection. That's Judith Herman. But most in, in at least you know at the end of the last century, the tradition was that we would go and we'd do the morning and remembrance and morning and remembrance and morning and remembrance and morning and remembrance and we would never get to the reconnection part and so focusing on resilience focusing on post-traumatic growth i'm definitely in that direction and i have a lot of empathy for people who are not yet um so no one's pushing anyone into a faster recovery, you know, than, than they are wanting or needing. But at least we can signpost there is a place beyond this. Yeah. And that's the place of reconnection. And also celebrate the resilience that's kept you alive thus far. And if we also look at if we look at some of these adaptive behaviors, it is so much more useful to say, this has kept me alive. And is it still life-serving? Because if it's not, I can I can leave that now. And thank you for keeping me alive. However dysfunctional this strategy now seems, it kept me alive. And I think that the most important, well, there's there's several things that are really important to me. One of them is that when you really understand about trauma and resilience, you no longer feel like you're a freak, like you're broken, like there was something wrong with you when you were born or there's some yes. mystical uh thing that happened to your psyche and it's going to take years and years and years and a really skilled psychotherapist to sort it out because you'll never be able to sort it out yourself i to just know that hey again you determine these are normal reactions to abnormal circumstances it's like phew yeah, you know, now I've got something to work with, right? It's right. like it's like being told, Oh, well, you know, you're having these fainting spells because you're pre-diabetic. Oh, now I can do something about that. I can change my diet. And it's the same with trauma. So that's one thing. The second thing I love is it gives us so much compassion for ourselves and for other people. When you realize, okay, I totally overreacted in that situation. But if you look at my trauma history, I wasn't overreacting. I was working completely, I was reacting completely in proportion to everything that's happened to me. It just didn't seem like a proportionate response in the moment. So I can have compassion for myself and I can also start looking at, well, okay, how do I stop the past intruding into the present? But with this degree of compassion for yourself, and it also gives you a degree of compassion for other people. Yeah. And in our fractured world, isn't that beautiful?
0: Yes. Yeah, two, two things came to mind. One, you, you choked me up at first when you first, when you said thank you to that um, reaction that you had, you know, the panic attacks that I thought about, it popped into my head of me thanking those panic attacks because even though I knew rationally this was not, I wasn't in danger. I, it truly was protecting me from something that I yeah. felt on a molecular level that I was in danger. And so what a beautiful way to put that. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Awesome. And then the second one popped out of my head. So I don't know. Uh,
1: well, good. I didn't finish your first question either. Uh. I, um, you'll find I have a butterfly mind. So Mine too. Mine too. Someone's going to need to track this conversation. <laughs> right. we're, It'll we're, be a beautiful piece of art. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but going back to the evolution of echo. So two years ago, I came forward about Harvey Weinstein. Um, and here's he a, he a tip. People don't know what to say when I say that. And for those people who... Care to think hard about what to say. They usually say, I'm so sorry. And it, that actually isn't very helpful because it makes me feel like they're pitying me. Right. And, uh, you know, really being tuned into another person's feelings and needs is so important. And that's, you know, really empathy. And I learned a long time ago you have to ask someone, well, how do you feel about that? And for me, when I read the story and realized, oh gosh, I wasn't the only one, <laughs> which sounds really stupid, you know, 90 women later, but I saw that Harvey was gonna sue the women in the New York Times article, some of whom I've become very close to subsequently. And I'm like, no, I'm not gonna let that happen. Right. This happened to me too. I mean, I wasn't raped by him, thank God, but certainly the preamble the MO was in evidence and I wasn't going to let him get away with it. And so I don't feel like I want pity. Um, I, I don't want to be ignored, um, which is what's been happening in the last two years to a lot of us who came forward for various reasons, but, but um, I don't, I don't really want pity And uh, to me, it was an amazing opportunity to use this as a platform to talk about trauma and to try and talk in a more nuanced way about what we were looking at here. And it's still not there. We're still, because of rape culture, I feel like the filmmakers, the journalists, uh, Anyone who gives a damn is still needing to paint this really dichotomous picture of evil predator, sweet little innocent survivor, because we have to make it that obvious. Yeah. Other people are still blaming the victim. And yet there is so much more to talk about in terms of trauma. And that's, that was my blog entry on ACES Connection com yeah good.
0: Um,
1: <laughs> and and the blog piece was uh what Harvey Weinstein taught me about trauma, and by that time, you know that was uh, the Monday, I think, after the Thursday New York Times article, Harvey had stepped down, and I thought it was all over by the shouting, and uh, no idea that two years later we'd still be waiting for the trial, we would still be in the midst of this but that's really what I wanted to talk about. I wanted to talk about, um, you know, what did that tell me about my response? What did it tell me about Harvey? What did it tell me about power dynamics? And you know what, interestingly, what ended up happening is it taught me about survivors. And what it made me realize is I had been kind of undercover because I had come into this world not as a mental health professional um, and learning about the trauma, reading Bessel van der Kolk, resonating with every single page and, um, yes. and keeps a score, being part of ACEs Connection uh, community. And I have always kind of been in a profession where, um, in social science, should we say, and so I was jam-packing my trainings with um, research studies and citations, because I kind of felt a little bit like I was an imposter, that this world belonged to psychology, not to Louise Godbold or to survivors. And what I'm realizing is when we have these talking heads who talk about trauma and they talk about us and they talk about our experience specifically, the silence breakers, whether that's Weinstein, Cosby, whomever, um, I get mad. It's like, wait a minute. Uh, you know, like having a guy talking about sexual assault and showing a clip from a film to describe one of his points because he doesn't know what that is like. Right. And so I think what we need is trauma-informed survivors educators. Yes. Because we have survival wisdom. And I think that's why people resonate with the trainings that we do, because it's not just clinical information, clinical in the sense of like cold and divorced uh, and antiseptic. But I think that there's one part of the training that I do that's on trauma responses and really unpacking a lot of behaviors and what's going on behind it, which part of your nervous system are you in? How is that serving you in some way as a survival response? How has that served you in the past? How is that the past intruding on the present? Why does that make sense? You know, if someone's feeling chronically unsafe, then suddenly a lot of behaviors make sense. Yeah. And that, Can only be teased out by someone who's experienced trauma, someone whose family has experienced trauma. And I think that, you know, we know from the Kaiser study that's at least 67% of us, so I'm not unique. Um, But I think that the problem is that I imagine a lot of clinicians felt as I did that they had to maintain this mask. Right. And not tap into their own survival wisdom.
0: Yes, and you know, I, it's mm-hmm. so very true because well one I my undergrad psychology, um and I worked in a mental health agency for um years in in Cincinnati, and I was in the school setting with children and uh I remember this little girl, this one particular little girl was sitting across from me and we were engaged. Um, I knew her history, which was uh, sexual abuse, um, but I wasn't to talk about it because my job in this role was to assess the children and see then if they needed to do, I needed to do a referral then on to our clinical staff, um, psychologists for them, you know, continued um I almost said service, but that's not it. That's not the word. But for them to work with her, so I'm engaged, and I just was not connecting with this kiddo. She was just the, the trust. She just had walls up, and it was just very difficult. And we were talking, and we were engaged. And I would do, you know, like do a lot of work, like relaxation, yoga with the kids, or um, a lot of artwork that would sometimes help us, you know, connect. Well, we were sitting there talking and this little girl all of a sudden stopped mid-sentence and she looked at me and she got really close and looked in my eyes and she said, you get it, don't you? Mm-hmm. And I just remember like the goosebumps coming up my arms and I thought, oh my God, she knows that mm-hmm. I was sexually abused as a child. But I had had this, you know, this professional mask on mm-hmm. with this kid connected and I was like... I get you and I just kind of let it go at that and from that moment on this kid and she totally opened up and it's almost I I think there's just a like a trauma warrior trust that happens um, between us and you're so right in that the trauma warriors um, who have survived it but not only survived and thrived that yeah we're the ones who can speak best to it
1: I I believe so and and I upset a lot of clinicians, believe you me. Um, And this is really not a dig at mental health professionals. It's not discounting the work that they do. Um, uh, What I would say is figure out what's going on in your body and brain and talk to a therapist if it helps you. The problem is that for too long, if someone's experienced trauma, everyone's like, oh, Go to a therapist. Go to a therapist. And as we were talking earlier, a lot of people don't have access to a therapist, either because they live in a country where, like Haiti, there's one mental health professional to every hundred thousand residents, or you know, in this country because we just can't damn well afford it. Um, So I don't think it's the be-all and end-all of everything. And of course, that is me taking a poke at the sacred cow. So I am. I'm very unpopular, but uh, I think that I'm not trying to put mental health professionals out of a job because I think that most people go into that profession because they have suffered and they, they want to help other people who've suffered. And I know that the training says, you know, you're very discreet about what you share about your own personal story because, you know, you don't want to make it all about you. And I get too. um, And I think there is a place for trauma survivors to support one another. And I think there is the survivor wisdom. And I think that if you really want to ensure that survivors are empowered, then it's very tricky when we have experts who are very well-intentioned but believe that they have more knowledge, more experience, more training right you deal with your life because that's not empowering especially if you have to keep coming back to that person so i would say there's a time and a place for talk therapy specifically um but we already know that in that first stage of trauma recovery safety trying to get safety if you're still in the survival brain you don't have access to the speech area right. Of the brain. right so Trying to force someone to recount their story at that point can be very activating and can send people off back into whatever coping strategies they've developed and, you know, more than likely they're unhealthy ones. Yeah,
0: that, which is why we talked a little bit before recording about EFT or tapping mm-hmm. and how that doesn't require Going back into the traumatic event itself necessarily Mm -hmm. I mean obviously you can tap on a specific event or a memory but you don't necessarily have to um, which is very powerful.
1: Well it's also the premise behind Seeking Safety which is a program that we use with our parents who are court-referred or um, DCFS mandated because they come to us in crisis and there I am again sounding like a mental health (laughs) professional But I mean, their kids have been taken away right? and they don't trust us and they think we're part of the system and they're like, I don't want to be here, you know. And so we do the Seeking Safety Group and it's all about finding safer coping strategies and not diving into the narrative if you don't want to. Some of them do. Um, And... That really, I think, is the wisdom that I gained from reading Judith Herman, really understanding about those stages of recovery. And don't force someone into telling their story if they're not feeling safe. Right. You shouldn't do that. And yet, the way our system is set up, right, if you report a sexual assault or any kind of crimes, you know, the police are going to try and get as much information as they can as quickly as possible because that helps them solve the case, which sadly is completely at variance to what we know about you know, your cortisol levels are going to be elevated for the six, 72 hours after the event, and um, that's just something that really begs for greater understanding and sensitivity uh, for the criminal justice system. Right. Um, but if we don't have to force somebody to recount their story, then hell no give them time let them do a lot of physical things uh uh until they feel safe um so as you can see i i am not anti-mental health professionals but i think we we have all this knowledge now about understanding when is it important to do the coherent narrative building which is important um but we should not be held hostage to the received wisdom of that particular field. I think we can push back, and I think that we survivors should push back because it's our lives, it's our recovery.
0: Yes.
1: Um, so, and, and again, you know, talking, I, there's a thread here, because going back to the evolution of ECHO, what I realized was at publicly identifying as a survivor, meant that that mask had dropped. I was now them, as opposed to us. And it didn't feel good. It really did not feel good. And the most, the, the biggest takeaway for me was the disempowerment at every turn, disempowerment. So now I'm going to quote Judith Herman again, as you can see, uh, one of the books I love, Trauma and Recovery. But she says that power and control is taken away from the victim at the time of the trauma so therefore the guiding principle of trauma recovery is to restore power and control to the survivor simple right right simple and yet you talk to somebody about being trauma informed and they'll tell you they'll go through the SAMHSA trauma informed principles they'll they'll go through my favorite ones you know the the five principles safety cooperation collaboration trustworthiness what have I missed uh I've missed one but um and then you ask someone so why do you want to become trauma-informed and this is what was happening at our professional development trainings and they're like oh well we just got a grant and it says we have to be or it's an, it's another skill that I can put on my resume and I'm like and who's the end user here you know it's like if you're not doing this work in order to make yourself redundant because you are wanting that power to go to the trauma survivors so they can recover right then what are you doing this for is it about you getting cleverer is it about you getting more skilled and i think you know in a more compassionate way of looking at it. I think people really want to get things right. And so, ooh, okay, there's this trauma-informed care. I can learn this because I really don't want to re-traumatize people. I genuinely want to help. Um, But when we lose sight of it's actually not about you, you know, it's about the survivor and it's about giving them the information. It's about letting them take control over their power, over their recovery. It's about their voice, not your voice. If we don't realize that, then we are not being trauma-informed. We're being a trauma-informed frill. Uh, We are being a trauma-informed irrelevance because we've forgotten the real focus of what being trauma-informed should be. Right, wow,
0: that's really a a profound way to look at it because it's almost like putting trauma-informed care or trauma-informed approaches in a box. Where so many of us don't fit in any sort of a box based upon our trauma history. And so, yeah, you have to look at each individual um, from their own trauma informed uh, uh, perspective,
1: if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Can I tell you a story? Can I tell you a sure. story? And, and again, um, I am told that I tend to exaggerate in order to make a point and I do have a wicked sense of humor. So I have to control myself. Um, and, you know, I have one of my great realizations as I've become more trauma informed is that most people are really trying to do the best with what they've got.
0: Yes.
1: And so having compassion for the fact that, for example, that people genuinely want to get it right. And they genuinely want to not re-traumatize someone. But I was doing a training with some mental health professional, no, medical, medical professionals. And I was just teasing a little bit, poking a little bit, and talking about something that always strikes me is when I go in for a checkup, they have me in the corridor with maybe two other people at these nurses stations and they've got the cuff on and they're doing the blood pressure. And in this public corridor they're saying uh how many pregnancies and then immediately afterwards how many live births and there's a whole world of trauma that could exist between sure questions right and so i was i was making that um giving that example and then at the end of the training where everybody gets to think about how am i going to make my workplace more trauma-informed, the people from the um, clinic said, "Um, well, we're going to ensure that everybody gets these, ask these questions in a closed room. And I said, oh yeah, you're really wanting to make your workplace more trauma-informed and you really heard me what I said about being asked these questions. and." To be really trauma-informed, you would ask the survivor. Because, yeah, 99% of us would prefer to be in a private room, but then maybe that one person who actually feels claustrophobic and doesn't want to spend any time in a closed room, let alone be asked activating questions. So it goes back to who has the power and control. And with all your good intentions, if you are still holding on to that power and control, then you don't understand what it is to be trauma-informed.
0: Yes.
1: Yeah, I see like, oh, going
0: on your head. Ding, ding, I know it's like. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's
1: brilliant and so very true. It's not it true though? It's so. I'm. I'm so. Uh, I guess I just, by nature, I'm a little rebel anyway. <laughs> but um, I just, I, I am also a trauma survivor, big time, and so. I feel it when someone tries to take away power and control. I okay. feel it. When I feel the disempowerment, it makes me angry. It makes me, in England would say, stroppy. It makes me act out. It makes me the jerk, you know? Right. Thomas survivors, we spend most of our lives being the jerk or the one who creates the problems. Yep, definitely should have a T-shirt. The one who keeps <laughs> the problems but it's that, it's that sense of oh my god i am not going to be able to protect myself this is happening again
0: right
1: and well that, it's the it's the where is my voice yeah but 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 not just your voice it's like where is my ability to protect myself because yeah. like judith says at the time of the trauma that was taken from me and so every time that happens again that's going to activate me because i'm going to feel scared something bad's going to happen to me And so if you look at that, it explains so many of people's reactions. And uh, can I tell you another story? Absolutely. I I got lots of stories. So we were doing parenting classes in the domestic violence shelter. And this uh, woman at the shelter calls me. And it's one of those phone calls where you have to hold the phone out here because she's like cussing up. Oh, right, right. And uh, I finally kind of got her to explain what was going on and she was going to lose her housing for her and her uh, 10 year old boy. And she was saying, can you please talk to the shelter director? Uh, I've waited 10 months to be, to get this housing and I really need this housing. And so looking at resilience, I was able to point out, Hey, you know, you are really good at marshalling resources to help you. And so she calmed down and I did call the shelter director and he said, but she's rude and she gets in your face and she upsets the other residents. I'm like, uh, have you ever actually met a trauma survivor? <laughs> Cause that's <laughs> what you <we> do. <laughs> that's pretty normal and i'm like "Mm, have you done any trauma training oh yes you know we're trained in trauma-informed care and i'm like no you're not no you're not because you're not understanding you know you're judging this woman like she's upset other residents therefore my job is to make sure she's out of here without really understanding what was going on anyway end of the story this woman indeed, very resourceful, gets her son's teacher to come to the meeting with the shelter director. And she called me afterwards and she said, you know, you really helped me calm down. You made me realize, yeah, I am strategic. I am good at marshalling my resources. I was able to go in there calmly and to lay out my case. And now I've been allowed to stay.
0: Oh, yay. Yeah.
1: But it, it goes back to what does it mean to being trauma, be, be trauma-informed? Because that guy, I thought he was trauma-informed. Right. But I, you know, I, I, again, I can exaggerate to make a story that he yeah. thinks Sims are, you know, women who delicately dab at their tears with lace handkerchiefs. Right.
0: But, you know, to play devil's advocate a little bit, I've, I've told teachers before that The kid who's flipping the desk in the classroom, or you know, yes, they know that child has trauma going on currently in their life. You know, with either poverty or drug abuse in the household, or whatever it may be, addiction. But I also was seeing another little girl in this particular second grade classroom um, who was just the quiet. Mm -hmm. Everything had to be perfect. Was always doing exactly as she was told and mm-hmm. which was me i was that one who put you know i had to be i became the perfectionistic child the good girl because that kept me from being hit my sister got hit instead and so um yeah i mean it but what my point is is that we don't know anyone's trauma story
1: exactly. based
0: upon their behaviors and it should just be about honoring everyone because we don't know what they've been through, we don't know their story and where they are on their healing journey. Hmm. So I
1: kind of, I kind of thought you were going to say that because when we train in schools, we talk about you know we talk about the window of tolerance and we talk about someone getting bumped out and being rageful. Uh, you know, that kind of person who. Right. I believe in every school in the land there is somebody throwing a chair because every time we go into a school, they're like, well, what about the kid who's throwing the chair? Yes. (laughs) Yes. So there must be tons of, tons of people doing that, but that's exactly what we say. What about the person who's quiet? Right. And we did some training for Teach for America and you know, they're very young. They come straight from college. They go straight into the classroom. I mean, I really admire what those young people are doing. Um, but it's so totally new to them. And, one of them was saying, this kid just stares at me, and I think he hates me. And we talked about, you know, dissociation, and we talked about being stuck in the low zone and what that looks like, the numbness and depression, and explaining that she was taking that on herself, that the kid hated her. No, the kid was just checking out yeah it was too frightened maybe to show his emotions and he had just become like a deer in the headlights um so you're right but uh i think we reserve our judgment for the ones who act out violently and that's another pet peeve of mine yes that, um you know we now okay as a society we've progressed enough to understand that at least in california there was a prop that got proposition that got passed that released a lot of people from jails who had been in there because of drug offenses and even that legislation said with the exception of those you know who have violent offenses and I understand as a society we want to protect ourselves and yet violence is just another manifestation of trauma so why should we not have the same degree of compassion and understand that in the same way that the substance abuser is self-medicating, that someone who's using violence, especially with young boys, it can be, not to be gender stereotypical, but um, it's a way of resetting control. Yeah. an it's just another form of trauma. Right. I'm preaching to the converted, so... (laughs) I I just won't read the comments when you actually publish this. Yes.
0: (laughs) Well, and I, you know, I just think there's so many trauma warriors and trauma survivors who, um, yes, will totally relate, but there are, there are many people who are listening who, um, yeah, these are aha moments and I thank you for sharing them. So,
1: yeah. Well, I still haven't finished the answer to (laughs) you. The butterfly is flying. (laughs) How long are we into this interview? <laughs> it's um, not
0: good.
1: But, but uh, again, I mean, all of this is really explaining why Echo has evolved to the place where we are now, which is um, I'm only interested in survivor empowerment. That's all I'm interested in. Yeah. I've actually dropped the whole trauma-informed care because if you're talking about care, again, it suggests a power differential. Like I'm the one who's healthy and you're the one who's sick. So I talk about trauma-informed practice um, and it to me is very important at this point that, and I have to, I mean, this is hard for me too, but I have to create environments where survivors can step into their power and voice. That's what's important to me at this stage. And I think, I mean, we have a reputation for being cutting edge and I hope that this is where the field is moving. Because if we, you know, this, you know, you've read all the articles on ACEs Connection saying that if this just becomes another disability, if learning about trauma just creates another category of disabled people, right. that professionals have to learn how to care for. It's, A, I think one of the concerns is that this is disproportionately gonna affect people of color and b we're then again put into the us and them yeah and what hope for us really i mean are are we going to go around with this label for the rest of our lives um is it going to come like you know well it already is part and parcel of a lot of mental health disorders really just trauma and they're calling them disorders but is that going to become like a new entry in the DSM? Like, childhood trauma survivor, therefore, has to carry this label. And guess what? The pharmaceutical companies will come up with a drug. Oh,
0: yeah. yeah, Right. Yeah. See, and I, I see, and I'm all about the trauma empowerment part of it is mm-hmm. all right, we, we made it. Now mm-hmm. what? And finding the gifts within the chaos. That's what I just blogged about this morning was finding those gifts. And, um, there's just incredible empowerment to be found once you go through the healing. Now, I'm not saying I'm healed. I'll always be on my healing journey. Um, because things may trigger, things may arise that we'd never tapped into in EMDR therapy. However, I'm so empowered now and I, and that's what we need to do for people is empower them um, with their trauma badge of,
1: <laughs> you know, courage. So, yeah. yes, I agree. I mean, we should wear that as a badge of honor.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: Um, I agree. And, and look at you. I mean, you're so empathetic and warm and human and compassionate and, um, you could string a sentence together. Right. <laughs> you're a beautiful, beautiful fruit uh, of someone who's been to really painful places and come back with so much richness as a human being and a, willing to, a willingness to share that with others. I mean, you're my kind of person. Thanks. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, my nickname is Glitter Shitter. And, um <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so I say, you know, for such a long time, I thought, I can't write this book. I can't write this book. I can't put my story out there. I can't tell the truth. And then once I finally did, I because I thought I had to be cured or fixed or unbroken to share it. But then I realized the beauty is is in still being quote unquote broken. I don't consider myself broken, but still being... Um, I think of that Japanese vessel, you know, that's been broken and they, they put it back together with the gold um, that, that and it just becomes this incredible vessel because the cracks that are put back together with gold um, just make it beautiful, even more beautiful. And so that's what I think about is that, you know, we're, we are these cracked vessels we're put back together as we do our trauma work and our healing work with this gold that just Uh, makes us, I don't even want to say more beautiful, because we were never not beautiful. Um, But now we can look at ourselves, I guess, as these beautiful vessels.
1: Well, and uh, I guess part of the product of getting older is you begin, uh, people begin to uh, ascribe qualities and adjectives to you, like being wise and uh, people have said I'm wise I'm like mm, I think I'm just old but, <laughs> but I, I think that if there's wisdom there it's because I had to figure out what to do about my out of control emotions right. uh, I had to try and become more attuned to other people you know being raised in a British household that's definitely a a downside to developing um really great emotional literacy anyway because of course British people still feel just as much as anyone else but we don't really talk about it um but the relationships I had growing up meant that I wasn't the most attuned person for sure and it's still something I'm working on um you know, I learned a lot from nonviolent communication and learning about empathy through that, and I think that I'm able to help other people who don't necessarily identify as trauma survivors through the skills that I've learned. I mean, it is applicable to anybody, and we've just had to dig deeper and work harder to gain those skills. But they say that you teach what you most need to know. <laughs> Because I think if it comes naturally, you're not even aware of what you're doing. So if you really need to know something, you learn it. And that gives you the ability to help others because you can actually codify it, articulate it in a way that someone else can learn.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's way cool way to look at it. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I have learned so much along this journey these past two years during this podcast. And um, I feel like I'm helping others learn along the way, but I've learned too. And that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. So any myths or facts that you would like to clarify for listeners, uh, either about you know trauma when we've talked about a lot about it with trauma informed care. Uh,
1: mm-hmm. but
0: I want to give you the opportunity if there's anything else that you wanted to touch upon.
1: Um, I think, we talked about the abiding myth that in order to treat trauma, you have to go seek therapy. Right. Um, we talk therapy. Um, and, and again, I get a lot of pushback because there's a lot of therapists doing EMDR, somatic experiencing a lot of, um, body-based work too. But I know that this is the case because having become involved in the work with, um, the entertainment industry, and that's a whole other story. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> that's but, a whole other <laughs> podcast. A whole other podcast. But so one of, the, one of the unions came up with the protocol because people had called in to make a complaint and got bounced all over the place. And so, you know, they were thinking about what can we do? And in this protocol, the first thing that they do is say, oh, I'm not qualified to talk to you. I'm going to send you to this person. Yeah. Which, to me, maybe I'm, again, oversensitive to this, but that would, would make me feel like, oh, gosh, I'm radioactive. They can't talk to me. I need a, I need a qualified person. But then they were sending them to a, a call center that's staffed by clinicians um, because the sense was, this is what we have to do. We have to send someone straight away in to talk to a therapist and. Our whole conference this year was all about different body-based ways of recovering from trauma, some of which are very culturally based. And I think, you know, again, Bessel van der Kolk with his work in um, working with David Emerson and the trauma-informed yoga and having that now as an evidence-based practice is really helping people understand there are so many different ways to do this, in fact, yes. came to speak at, at ECHO and he said to me, if anyone tells you there is one way to recover from trauma, run like hell.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I just had this conversation and said, you just fill your toolbox with all this stuff and all this stuff and sometimes something will work and then the next day it might not work, but you have, you, there is no one solution.
1: Which is why I was telling you about that film Wrestling Ghosts and why I I hope your listeners get to um, hear Anna Johannes, Johannes, Johannes. she's Swiss, um, the director, because it, it follows Kim and her journey as she tries all these different modalities. But the thing that was really interesting about our conference is it made me think, so yoga, uh, not my tradition it's, it's uh, you know an Indian tradition um please forgive me any yogis out there if I got that wrong but I mean it's not it's it's a thousand year old thousand thousand year old tradition and it made me think about what else is inherent in different cultures that has somehow hit on a way to recover from trauma they may not understand the underlying science but right. definitely there there are thousands of years of wisdom that we can't ignore and so oh. we had Laura Som who's from um, May she works with the Cambodian population and she was explaining that for her elders in her community in her community uh, they are survivors of Pol Pot regime uh, the Khmer Rouge and terrible terrible genocide and in their culture, much is the same in the British culture, at least when I was growing up, you do not go and see a psychologist or a psychiatrist. I mean, you have to be dragged away <laughs> before you would go see someone. Um, but she had some land behind the back of their non-profit and these older people started gardening. And because the Cambodian population is a very agriculturally rooted um no pun intended, uh, community, this really worked for the elders. Um, and it's a form of moving meditation and it's the connection yeah. with the earth. And she did a beautiful workshop and it was so much fun exploring all these different things. And it wasn't so that now everybody who lives in LA, whatever their background is going to go and do gardening, but that wasn't the idea. Right. The idea was that In this city where we have so many different cultures represented, um, let's look into our traditions and see what's there. What wisdom do we already have? And at least give it a go. You know, at least consider it. Um, And I would just be excited to see what else comes up as people dig into their traditions and realize that we actually have a lot of wisdom there already.
0: Yes, agreed. And I am a big, huge fan of the of, of exactly that. I was reading a book today. Well, I'd read it before, but I was looking through it for notes, and it was uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer's "Change Your." I'm looking at it now. Change your thoughts, change your life, and it's about the Tao teaching, and it's thousands of years of history from you know China. But then I've done. Ho'oponopono Hawaiian healing and Huna <laughs> healing and there's just so many. there's so much out there um, <laughs> that can help us and yes, yoga and mindfulness and meditation and all of the stuff that has been around for a long, long time and it's beautiful.
1: And ironing, don't forget ironing. Yeah. <laughs> I-, I have the scars to prove it. But ironing is my moving meditation and I didn't understand, and then I embraced it. Uh, this is not a, a, a plea to everyone sent me their ironing. I've got quite enough of my own. But uh, it's, it's a way that I can let my thoughts just go someplace quiet, and I focus on the activity, and it's a space that I've created in my life. And once I realized that's what it was, yeah. I was able to celebrate that. And it also gave me a sense of empowerment because now I'm conscious. Like, okay, I had a row with my boyfriend, not gonna blow up at him as I would have done. I'm gonna go and spend four hours in the laundry room. <laughs> True story. Yeah. Um, a lot of I done it, that day. <laughs> it's your way
0: of being in the now of,
1: Mm -hmm. grounding
0: yourself, of connecting. And and there was another book that I read. Oh, I'm so drawing a blank on it, but written by a Vietnamese uh, monk. And, but but along the same lines of when you are doing the dishes, be present with that moment of cleaning that dish, of the bubbles, of the rinsing, of the process, of the drying. But it is, it's being, it's very mindfulness kind of stuff. And that's what I thought of when, you know, you and your ironing
1: is. You See, but the, the dishes wouldn't work for me because that's just plain boring. I just, <laughs> that wouldn't, work. That wouldn't work. But there's something very satisfying of making that cloth smooth. Yes. So to me that's satisfying. Now I, I put on my audible and my, my book when I'm doing the dishes. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's also good. Escapism's is good. It works. Right,
0: right. I just rinsed them and throw them in the dishwasher, so
1: Ah, <laughs> yes. All right. Well, so too much about each other's domestic lives. What else? Right, do exactly. Need? Exactly. <laughs> I have to ask you one of my favorite questions. Okay. If you
0: could meet anyone in the world, dead or alive, to help you with your continued journey, either professionally or personally, or both, who would it be?
1: Ah, why didn't I know that you were gonna ask me this? <laughs> ah.
0: This is right. that deep question that everybody goes, oh.
1: I don't know. I'm, I mean, we're lucky that we have the legacy of books. Um, so that, and that was my salvation really as a kid, that I went into the world of books. So I feel like I've had those people around me all the time. Awesome. Um so I I can't really think of a of a good answer to that. Um I mean, I just met Tina Chan yesterday. She's the new head of Times Up. And I I felt like that about her that oh, this woman is going to help. This woman's going to get stuff done. Um she's amazing. She spent 6 years as uh, Michelle Obama's chief of staff. And I think that she's going to really get things done. So in a way I, I got to meet that person.
0: Oh, that's so cool. That's a great answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. Well, anything else that you wanted to talk about before we end our conversation?
1: Um, just that I'm a bit scared because uh, our conference in 2020, I've taken the leap that it is totally survivor focused and true to The idea that we don't need experts as much as we need trauma-informed survivors. They are the real experts. Um, All of the speakers are survivors who have found some knowledge or skill to be able to step into their own power and uh, be able to have their own journey of recovery and we want to share those things with survivors who come to the conference and normally we actually raise money from the conference um, because the the ticket price is quite high so this time i can't do that so i I want to make this accessible to everybody which is kind of scary because it means i need lots and lots of money so um but uh I would love for people to come to this conference. I think it's going to be really exciting, and um, I don't want to be apologetic about it. Uh, this last two years has put me into circles. I never thought I would be in again. The Hollywood work, you know, world. Um, people who are well known, uh, like Mira Savino and Rosanna Arquette, um, who will both be coming to this conference. But what's so beautiful is that um these weinstein survivors who've become my friends they want to help they've come to the trainings actually a lot of them have come to the echo trainings and they want to give back and i think that they're aware enough to not do it as oh here i am i'm the this glamorous hollywood person they really want to uh, just join hands, literally, with other survivors and do listening circles with us. And because our, you know, we we live in LA, and eighty percent of the people who come to our trainings and conferences are people of color. So I immediately reached out to the survivors of color I know, and so that will be great too because. Um, certainly the Cosby survivors have complained that, you know, hey, well, the Weinstein survivors got all the attention. We were here first. Right. And it's true. It's true.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, you know, looking at the forces that make change, and they were totally ignored. But um, I, I hope that people will come to this conference. I think it's going to be really exciting and different and... I'm taking a bit of a risk, so we'll see if I still have a job afterwards.
0: Yeah, I think it's amazing and wonderful. And I thank you for doing it. I think what a beautiful tribute to survivors and again, trauma warriors. I just think that's phenomenal. So how do people, if they do want to come, how
1: do they do so? Um, well, I think we've got the, if the cart is not up on our website, it will be soon. Um, and we're, we're charging a, a minimal amount um, which is why after this call I'm going to be spending (laughs) a lot of energy in reaching out to sponsors, trying to get sponsorship for this. So you you will be just able to sign up very, very quickly. Um, And we will be trying to offer some scholarships as well. I think the um, individual price is $90 for the two days and we will have some scholarships available. Um, And the program's already a part of it anyway, because it's, it's different. Normally we have like, okay, we're going to do post-traumatic growth. We're going to go out after right. this speaker, this speaker. This speaker. Um, but it's more of a drip, drip, drip this time because people are hearing about it and asking if they can be involved. Um, so it's going to be it's going to be a bit messy. It's definitely going to be a bit messy because Rosanna and Mira both said, you know, if I get a job, I can't do right. this. Right. Which makes sense. Um, but... I think it's going to be pretty damn amazing. I think it's going to be pretty damn amazing <laughs> as well. So what is the website? It's echotraining.org echo, 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 just like a echo in a cave, ECHO, okay. echo training.org. Wonderful.
0: Okay. Um, well, again, I thank you for all you're doing uh, for shining your light of hope and, um, yeah and if sponsors want to hear this and somebody wants to sponsor they can reach out to you as well oh yes
1: please, please. okay
0: wonderful all right well I'll put that out there when I do my media blast on this so thank that's you awesome.
1: very yeah. well.
0: when is the when is the conference
1: it's the 11th and 12th of March
0: okay so coming up in 2020 Wonderful. Yes.
1: okay well thank you again for I'm joining. Gonna have great swag oh <laughs> I haven't been very successful in getting sponsors, but good swag. I have have a survivor actually who's on the job and she's amazing. I tell you, I don't know what I'm going to do with 1,800 tubes of mascara, however. (laughs) That's fantastic. Uh, They're going to cover us for, let me see the next nine conferences. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs)
0: oh well again it's just beautiful and thank you again for being with me on the podcast and joining me today so
1: thank you terry
0: all right everyone thank you for joining us on the healing place podcast and remember until next time be gentle with yourself thanks bye-bye
1: bye